I remember reading an obituary for a baseball player a few years ago that commented on the man's height. He was short, only 5'6". I bristled and said out loud in the coffee shop where I sat, that's not short, because I'm 5'5 five, five and a half. And don't you try to take that half inch away from me. I don't really think of myself as Lilliputian. Of course, if you attend the 8 a.m. service as you do here at St. Luke's, you might notice that our two acolytes, John DeSantis and Tom Kenyon, are freakishly tall next to me. <laughs> but that's on them. I am normal height. Just ask any one of my Mexican-American friends of Mayan descent, who are short. Soon after reading about that baseball player, I started noticing all kinds of references to men's short stature, of guys who were really short, only five foot seven, in print, on TV, in passing comments, and I started developing a complex. When I complained to William, he just smiled and said, oh, don't worry, when you walk into a room, you have a giant presence, whatever that meant. I was not assuaged, for the record, Bob Dylan is 5'5". Five five. Tom Cruise says he's 5'7". Please, he's 5'5". Five five. Winston Churchill, 5'7". Mahatma Gandhi, 5'4". Napoleon Bonaparte, 5'6". Robin Williams, 5'7". The comedian Kevin Hart, 5'4". Al Pacino, 5'7". Martin Scorsese, 5'3". And Prince, 5'2". Hmm. Not that I have a chip on my shoulder or anything. <laughs> By the way, I found those stats on shortofheight.com if you're interested. <laughs> so you can imagine that the story of Zacchaeus might be near and dear to my heart. As the Sunday school children's song goes, Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector, which made him even more despised than his other IRS colleagues. He had to pay the Romans their tax in advance to hold his position, sort of like renting his job. But then he was free to hire underlings who would do the actual dirty work of collecting the taxes from the people. So however much more he could extract from his fellow Jews above what he had to pay the Romans was his to keep for profit. Men in this position frequently abused him. So nobody liked Zacchaeus. Plus, he was short. Now, on top of that, Luke takes the trouble to write, he was a chief tax collector and was rich. That might sound redundant, but there is a point being made. In the previous chapter of Luke, Jesus encounters that rich young man who asks, what must I do to inherit eternal life? When Jesus hears from the man that he is doing already all he's supposed to in that regard, Jesus then tells him, well, you lack one thing. Go, sell all your possessions, give the proceeds to the poor, and come follow me. The rich young man walks away sad. It's too much to let go of. Jesus then turns to the crowd and says, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. 
That's just in the previous chapter. So when we meet Zacchaeus in this chapter and are told that he is rich, we know what comes next. Except it doesn't. Because something inside Zacchaeus, chief tax collector of Jericho, who was rich and despised by all, something inside him longs to see Jesus. He's heard the stories of miracle and healing, and he yearns for just a glimpse of the divine. But he's short and can't see past the crowd of people surrounding Jesus. So in his desperation, he does something that in his day, in ancient Near East cultures, was considered downright shameful for a man of his prominence and wealth. He runs in public. He gets ahead of the crowd and climbs a sycamore tree for a better vantage point. And if running was embarrassing, then scampering up a tree was worse. His actions testify to that longing he has for just a peek at this holy man. So there he sits up in a tree, this rich chief tax collector, sinner, despised by all, and short. I picture Danny DeVito in the movie version. (laughs) Four foot ten, by the way. And he sees Jesus from the tree. And his eyes widen with wonder. And the longing in his heart rises. Because he knows people hate him. He's figured out by now that despite his wealth, he can't get a girlfriend who will simply love him for who he is. The last one teased him for his height, patting him on the head like a child. He knows he'll never be the leading man, at best a sidekick. And anyone who is his friend only pretends so that they can get some of his money and favors. Yet despite all that, in fact because of all that, he aches to be seen and loved by God, if by no one else. And that ineffable something in his heart that causes him to humiliatingly run up and climb up a tree hopes that maybe this holy man Jesus will see him. So there we sit on the branch next to Zacchaeus. We bring up the tree with us, whatever has convinced us that we are unlovable or unworthy. Fractured, less than, not invincible after all, not smart enough to succeed, beautiful enough to deserve love, wealthy enough to thrive, spiritual enough to transcend, or worthy enough to overcome our loneliness. We sit next to Zacchaeus and we too long to be seen by Jesus, to be called down from the tree and asked to host him in our home. In seminary, my greatest struggle was not systematic theology, though that was hard. Uh, It was self-doubt. The idea that God would have called me to be a priest was ludicrous. Some of you might be thinking that right now. (laughs) Me, the son of working class immigrants, me whose faith was shaky at best, whose selfishness ran just as deep as the next guy's, whose most recent job had been answering phones at the front desk of a San Francisco law firm, whose seminary classmates included the nephew of a bishop and the head of a nonprofit organization she had built up from scratch. It didn't make sense that I should be there. And half the time I wanted out. 
One thing that saved me was a phrase that I think I've mentioned to you before. God does not call the equipped. God equips the called. I relied on this catchphrase for years to quiet the doubts about priesthood that racked me. Another phrase I used was cobbled together during a heated argument I had with God, and it became my frequent ultimatum before I went to bed each night. All right, then. If it's me you're calling, then it's me you're getting. I cannot keep trying to be someone better anymore. So I am imagining that maybe some of you have had similar struggles in your life, whatever shape they took, wondering whether you are enough, whether you are ready to do what God calls you to do in the church, in your life, in your relationships with friends and family, in your work, in your heart. There are moments, there are moments when you need to hear that God equips you for the work ahead, that God longs to see you. You. Well, Jesus does call you down from that sycamore tree, along with Zacchaeus saying, hurry and come down for I must stay at your house today. Your house. And in that moment of being seen and called by Jesus, you and me and Zacchaeus become good enough. Or rather, like Zacchaeus, we realize we had been good enough all along. He scrambles down the tree as his true self, the person he longed to be, the, the one that everyone refused to see. Zacchaeus' longing to see Jesus made him climb up a tree, but it is Jesus seeing Zacchaeus for all that he is, gifts and inadequacies, but calling him down anyway. That's what brings him down the tree, bounding with joy. <coughs> that loving regard, that joyful calling to become the person God has called. And as we climb down the tree with him, in that moment when we respond to Jesus' call and that flash of insight, that it's not about our capability, but rather about our ability to love and let ourselves be loved, that is when we transform into our truest self. The crowd is not happy to see Zacchaeus when he gets down. They grumble and can't believe Jesus would choose a sinner's home to stay in. But Zacchaeus stands his ground, that little man. Having been seen and accepted by Jesus, this short man is not about to climb back up that sycamore tree and return to his life as an outcast. So he defies the crowd and declares that he is good enough. And he proves it by putting his money where his mouth is, promising to give half of his possessions to the poor and to repay anyone he has cheated fourfold. Jesus then exclaims, today salvation has come to this house. Well, may today be the day Jesus proclaims this in your heart. Or soon, if not today. William and I chose the story of Zacchaeus as the gospel reading at our wedding. Not because he's short, and people have the mistaken notion that I am short but because we recognized that all our lives we had needed to let God love us into enoughness, despite our low self-esteem, so that we could find each other in this world and express that love and regard for each other. 
May we all come to know the love and strength that comes with accepting the call of Jesus and scrambling down that tree, whatever it means for you. (sighs) Every All Saints Sunday, like today, I am reminded of my old spiritual director's definition of a saint, which I think I told you last year. He said, a saint is a person the quality of whose life gives other people hope. A saint is a person the quality of whose life gives other people hope. My prayer for each of us is such a sainthood. May it be so. Amen. Amen.